Welcome to Interceptor Beyond Podcast. My name is Arthur, and today our guests are Jamie and Jordan of the doom band Broom. Uh, my name is Jordan Perkins-Lewis. I'm the drummer for Broom. And my name is Jamie McCarthy, and I'm the guitar player in Broom. I just want to remind everybody who's listening to this episode right now to follow the show on Spotify or any other podcast platform that you prefer. I discovered Broom a couple of years ago. Uh, I was diving into the Doom scene and I noticed a white bunny on the cover of an album. And I thought, okay, if a Doom band has a bunny, a rabbit on the cover, it must be something special. <laughs> and I checked it out and it was pretty cool. I really like it. Uh, really heavy, awesome album. Should be listened. The whole band should be listened on a big fat speakers or live. Uh, what was the decision to put the bunny on the album? Where did the bunny come from? <laughs> um, Jordan, you want to take this? I'll, I'll, I'll wait. In. We've done uh, a few albums that are titled after animals. Uh, and so I don't recall exactly how rabbits came about. But once we landed on it, um, we had a few different ideas for album artwork. And I think initially it was kind of going in a grotesque direction. And it was going to be pretty gruesome. We kind of had a, a funny idea to just do the complete opposite and go like super fluffy and, and gentle and uh, it, it fit and people seem to respond to it. Yeah, I guess the response is good. I mean, I, that's how I discovered because you stand out immediately from all the Doom bands, from all the album covers. <laughs> I mean, I, that's, it sounds really stupid, but I hadn't really thought of it that like we did it because we thought it was kind of like funny. And I guess it, it worked like to, to your point, you, you discovered it for that reason, which is great. I, I, I'm a, kind of a, a graphic designer by day. And so I worked with when I was living in London, I worked with a photographer and did a photo shoot with him. Um, he, he specializes in shooting animals. And so it was him that I called up and was like, Hey, do you have like, what's the most beautiful photograph of a rabbit you've got? We've got this album. I'd love to borrow it. And he was like, totally. <laughs> he sent a selection, but there was just like this beautiful white bunny in a kind of a, a box that he shot. And it was perfect. For a second, I mean, uh, before reading all your interviews and the story behind the photo, I for a second, I thought maybe it's not a live bunny. Maybe it's just uh, like, a, like a puppet or something. Then I had to zoom in. Then I had to do a Google search of the image. And then after a while, after I read all the interviews, I discovered the artist, the photographer. Mm. Oh, cool. By the way, uh, Jordan, what's up with the chickens? What chickens? I, I own chickens. I raise chickens. Yeah, I read that you like to mention chickens a lot. They get mentioned a lot, yes. <laughs> I ask this question because reading all the interviews, uh, you any interview of any musician, you get a lot behind the scenes. And the artist, the mystery of artists kind of disappears when the audience knows quite a lot about the artist. Do you, do you think it's now gone? Is it good or bad? The artist mystery, so to speak. In general, or do you think you mean with us? I mean, I think that in general um, and with you, like your experience, and in general for everybody. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't. For me, I don't feel like the mystery is gone too much. I guess it's it's primarily though on the artist to ensure that, like, if they want to leave something to the imagination or don't want there to be some big kind of deep thing, then they should just not express it. I think that for us we like playing with the idea of what like metal or do metal is and are pretty vocal about it for anyone that cares to listen. You know, I think that 
you know, the fact that you discovered us because we have a big fluffy white bunny rabbit on the front of our doom metal album is pretty funny. <laughs> so let's go back to the beginning a little bit. Like, uh, I know you've been asked a lot, but still, how did it all start in your case? How how do you, three of you came about? I'll start I, only because um, we kind of, me and Susie met at a house party. It was a Halloween party um, a good time ago. I, I was still living and working in London and I came out to San Francisco went to a house party and, and her husband was dressed as a turkey and she was dressed as a zombie. Um, and immediately I was like, okay, these are people I probably want to hang out with. And so we kind of came friends. And then a couple of years later, I actually moved like kind of full time. Me and my wife moved to the Bay Area from England. And when we did, I was like, at that point, I'd been in bands in London and England and I was kind of tired because it's, it's hard having a, a, a life and a you know, working and then having a partner and then also trying to kind of be in a band. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to make any music. I'm just going to chill out. And a month in, I was like scratching and itching. I was like, there's no way. So Susie just kind of immediately came to mind. And so I reached out and we talked about at the time, you know, what kind of music we wanted to play, what kind of thing we wanted to do. And and at that point, I guess, kind of bands like Windhand were becoming popular. And so we were like, obviously into heavy music. Susie's voice was particularly kind of not heavy, but in a really good way. So it was like, okay, we're going to make a heavy band and it's going to have really delicate, pretty vocals. That's kind of where we're headed. So we started writing some stuff and then we actually put a Craigslist ad and Jordan was the, the person. We, 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 we kind of demoed one other drummer first and that didn't work out, but Jordan came in the room and it was like immediately like, wow, how do we make sure he joins our band? So <laughs> that was a... Uh, Kind of how we met. I spend a lot of time on Craigslist. Yeah, is it normal to do like a Craigslist, uh, Craigslist advertising? Yeah, I think it's pretty standard for musicians these days, and has been for a, about a decade or so. Yeah, when I was in when I was in London, there was a it wasn't Craigslist, but like same kind of thing, right? Like an online forum where people would kind of like troll it to figure out who they might be trying to make music with. Like the last drummer, the last band I was in, same thing in England. It was an ad that he replied and he was our drummer and kind of lifelong friend afterwards the first ep was donkey yes and what's interesting with the donkey i think it was released on tapes only first yeah there's a james a, a good guy here in the bay area puts out a lot of really amazing music runs a label called transylvania and it's incredible so we were, we were fortunate we you know we wanted to kind of do something with that record we recorded it was an ep it wasn't that long but we wanted to do something and reached out and he was amazing. Yeah, why I ask is because in each episode of my podcast, I ask about cassette tapes, audio cassettes, because I'm kind of fixated on them because I grew up with uh, tapes. Uh, vinyl is not really my like format. And now I'm asking all the bands from all parts of the world what they th what do they think about tapes and how tapes are popular in their countries. Uh, how is it in uh, uh, in your area in San Francisco? There's definitely like a, a collector element to people wanting tapes these days. I don't know of too many people that actively listen to tapes because the technology to listen to them is getting scarce. Um, I personally have a car with a cassette player, so I am still able to listen to tapes and I still buy tapes. Um, and I think people want them, but I think it's more of a novelty than like an actual something you listen to. Yeah, and it, it might sound rude and we don't mean to be, but I think like first off when, you know, and James like put out and puts out amazing, incredible bands. When he said to us he was doing tapes, I was a little bit like, why? 
what are, what are we going to do with tapes? And he was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, it's amazing, you know, giving us a, a label, giving the band a bunch of tapes to be able to go ahead and sell as well. It's like, man, we're not going to sell these things. We're just going to carry them. And they sold. They sold really quickly. And, yeah, and I think people want them. We were shocked. And the nice thing about tapes is you can do smaller runs and they're not that expensive to get off the ground. So for a small band that's trying to put something out there, it's an easy way to get started. How many copies did they make? I don't, yeah, it's, it's been a while now. But, 250, um, 500, maybe less than that. 100? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, uh, not not thousands. No, no, no. Correct. You hear that? Yeah. That's uh, that's that's the washer dryer telling me that it's finished. <laughs> Plays me a jingle. That's perfect. Make an album cover for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's not <a> bad idea. <laughs> Actually, I have a question regarding that. We're gonna jump around the topics all the time. You did the cover for Black Sabbath song "Solitude." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what was the de- decision? Like, did you choose that song? We we did choose that song. We did. We had a list of three that we wanted to do, and and that's the one we ended up going with. I think you can probably imagine, based on like our sense of humor and choosing a bunny rabbit, the reasons why to pick "Solitude." <laughs> well, you know, I'm only getting your sense of humor only now. <laughs> <laughs> When I read your interviews, it's like I I can't I can't see the humor. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like too concentrated on different stuff. I have no we're, idea. We're too mysterious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> have you ever planned to do a cover uh, album, like full album made of covers only for a specific artist? No, I don't like doing covers personally. I'm not a fan of doing covers. I try to limit how many covers we do. Yeah, when we I, I think that for us. And again, I kind of alluded to it, but for us covers, the most important thing, if you're going to do a cover, like I think me and Susie love them, but Jordan's kind of always a bit apprehensive and I totally get it and respect it. So I think that um, we're, we're probably never going to do a whole album of covers, but if you're going to do one, it's got to be good and it's got to be interesting. You can't just do a straight cover of the song so that it sounds exactly the same. That's the number one rule. So actually on Donkey, there's a cover on that. Um by a musician that I love called Bonnie Prince Billy. Um, nothing to do with doom, nothing to do with metal, just an incredible songwriter. Um, I think we did a cover on a split um, that's a cover of a Lead Belly song that Nirvana covered that also kind of, you know, again, like two songs in both of those that were kind of like the cover or the version of it is quite abstract. It's, an, it's a reinterpretation versus a straight cover. And then lastly, I guess the last cover we've done is Solitude. And, you know, the song is generally very gentle and kind of trippy. And we took some of that, but we made it more sad, which is kind of another theme we seem to do. Yeah, you, you like, I, I read a description of the band. It's like uh, Porch's Head was a doom band. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. I like that description. <laughs> I, I, I like that <laughs> I'll take that. What was the decision to make that cover song? Solitude. Yeah. It, it was primarily knowing that every band on that, on that record was going to do all of the big Black Sabbath greatest hits. We knew that like every band that were kind of choosing songs and, you know, the label was great and said, you know, you guys pick a song. It's like whatever you want to do. And they listed who the other bands were. They were amazing, but we just knew that everyone was going to do like, you know, all of the hits. So we were like, okay, let's just not do that. That was the aim. So the idea to actually do a cover in general was from the label. Yeah, correct. Yeah, they, they put out a lot of, um, I think they call them reduxes, but kind of 
cover they, they do like a, a cover album which is a, a you know an album that already exists and they do it front to back with bands covering the songs on the album and then to accompany that they'll generally do a kind of a, a release of other bands covering songs generally by the artist i think there was a recent one by acdc and it's uh, the magnetic eye records right correct yeah. And how did you get uh, signed to my... Are you still there? Still there. Still there. Yeah. yeah. How did you get signed by that label? We actually reached out to them. Um, I did personally. Friends of ours, um, Elephant Tree from, from England, again, were kind of on that label. They seem to be kind of a label that like deals with heavy music, but equally it's not just obvious heavy music. And I think that, you know, again, like you can tell that like we love heavy music, but it can be a bit boring and a bit stagnant. And so for us, it was about finding someone that kind of their, their interests were a little more um, varied versus just kind of your standard heavy rock metal label. So it was your personal connection, you, or it was completely cold. You didn't know anybody there. It was actually cold. Yeah. Cold, we just shot them an email. Yeah. We just shot them an email. And, and fortunately for us, they kind of had heard us, through something actually i can't even remember now it's been a while i think we were on the road when they had got back to us and said they'll pick us up i think we we're in texas driving through texas when we got the email that's right yeah i think we were we did like a south by southwest show and and we're like south and reached send them an email completely cold and, and we had friends on the label were previously on the label and so we kind of name dropped them to say like hey they put us in touch or you know sent us like a name and so we're just saying hey what's up And it worked out. I think going going to your push earlier, you were asking about like, you know, um, whether or not it influences people that maybe don't know how to do this stuff. It's like, give it a go. Because yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, putting an ad in for a drummer and then finding one is like, that's just a bit of a chance thing and sending off an email to see if you can, you know, chat to a label and then be signed and then release records for you is all just from some emails. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. You need to try. And you mentioned that you were touring back then. You you actually did a lot of touring all over uh, North America and in Europe, right? Done a fair amount, yeah. I think uh, comparatively to other bands, we might be a little more fair weather. Like we don't do a lot. <laughs> um, we're a bit prima donna. <laughs> we we like we like home and feeling comfortable as much as we like going on tour. You probably won't catch us on the road for thirty or forty days at a time. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> But still, you have experience. You've been overseas. You've been to Europe. And what's the difference between uh, touring in North America and Europe? Uh, everything about touring in Europe is better. <laughs> In what way? Uh, the the fan, the fans are better. You get treated better. They pay you better. Um, people buy your merch. Uh, there's a lot more like buzz and excitement. I love playing, you know, local shows. But after a while, it just kind of feels like you're playing another local show. There's no like urgency to see the band, and you're seeing kind of more or less the same crowds over and over. So when you get to go overseas, there's like a real, you know, people really get whipped into a fervor to go come out to the shows and and turn up and have a good time. And uh, the energy, I think, is a lot higher. Mm, yeah, uh, when you said like everything is better, I had an interview with Psychic Hit. They were on the first uh, episode of this podcast, and I asked them how's the music scene in San Francisco, and they said it's cool, but if you go south to LA, you are treated not that well, mm -hmm. and uh, it doesn't depend on your level. It's 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 in general the atmosphere is like that, and they were like, oh, we wish we would go to Europe. Everything is better there. I agree. I spent uh, a lot of time 
uh, playing with bands in Los Angeles and it's, it's grueling and brutal and thankless. And it wasn't until I moved up to the Bay area that I actually started to be a little more successful. Are there actually any tips for uh, bands from uh, North America going to Europe? What what they should be on lookout, mainly? Tapes that are being like sold overseas? No, no, not tapes. I mean, um, no, tips. I, I oh, mean, tips. I misspoke. <laughs> tips for bands going to Europe. Yeah, and, and maybe vice versa. I think that we're, we're probably not the most... Uh, I said not the most organized. We're very self-motivated and organized, but um, like I think that get ready to just kind of like put some work in and figure stuff out. I mean, obviously, if you have like booking agents and that kind of thing, that's fantastic. But if you don't, you know, it's kind of like any tour. You can DIY it and make it work. Um, and financially, it may seem scary at first, but knowing that you will sell merch and people will come to shows because it's the vibe over there that it's kind of worth the effort i'd say you'd probably want to network with other bands as much as possible too because that's that's how you're going to be able to put together you know legs of your tour you can attach yourself to some local group that's going to take you to four shows and then find another local band that'll take you to the next four shows and so on and so on you can just piecemeal the tour out that way and it becomes a lot less uh, daunting of a task when you break it up with you know other bands that are kind of at your level trying to do the same thing and you can share resources do you book the shows yourself or you have a booking agent we do everything ourselves badass yeah, part of part of the uh not fortune but like part of like obviously me being from england originally and having been in bands when i was growing up like the band that i left in london kept going and actually got way better once i left <laughs> so um the good news is that because they kept going we had like this almost like instant resource of like another band to do to to split resourcing and costs and and uh, booking with, and so they're based out of London and we're based here in San Francisco. But you know, last time we were in Europe, we did the first part of our leg on ourselves, and then we eventually met up with them in Holland and kind of did a few shows there and back to London. So it's again to jordan's point it's kind of great because you can find another band buddy with them make it happen and uh, that's how the desert fest london uh, came about right yeah the, the the um desert fest london so again i'm from like i lived in london for almost kind of nine years um and all of the bands and that whole i mean that whole show is actually um run by a guy in a band called steak that's a band that i used to play with when i was in london so it all just feels very family to me and, and, and desert fest coming from kind of london originally just um came about from knowing people and playing with all the bands um you know matt who's in grave lines and gareth who's in girt and you know reese who's in steak were all people that we kind of just knew so just reached out yeah and you also played in vienna austria that's where i'm recording from ah in 2018 yeah. nice it's one of our favorite, one of our favorite places favorite we've ever places. been to yeah, we had a blast. Unfortunately, I was not there because I didn't know about you back then. I missed the show. <laughs> uh, how did that happen? It was one of the of these European tours. Yeah, I don't remember how we got we got that festival in Austria, and then the rest just kind of built out around that. The the Vienna show actually we we didn't have a show in Vienna, and what we did is we had a day off and we we went to Vienna because we had friends that were from America like just hanging out in Europe. And so we were like, oh, we'll come to Vienna with you. We've got a night or two off. 
And so when we were there, we found out about the Pelorian show. We, they played with us at the festival in Budapest like yeah. two or three days before. And then yeah. we saw that they were playing in Vienna the next night and there was only one or two bands on the slot. So we sent them a Facebook message. Hey, can we jump on the bill? And they said, yeah, of course. That's yeah. how we ended up playing that show. So we ended up just being the opener like, and, and literally the night before, just like drunk eating schnitzel in the streets and then like emailing someone and getting on this show and it was a great show it was so much fun it's in that venue there's almost like a cave downstairs you probably know it it's a metal bar the name of that place is the escape which is at neustiftgasse in vienna austria it was cool so yeah and i wanted to ask you like what your memories from the european tour but of course now you mentioned that it's one of the best memories playing there the festival there was crazy it's gorgeous it's so beautiful and the people were amazing. And that that was probably, you know, we it's just... so easy to drive around. Yeah. <laughs> it was our first show. We I don't think we knew what to expect from the tour because it's, I mean, it's just part of like the stupidness and the excitement of self-booking is that you're like, this could be terrible or it could be great. Who knows? Yeah, you don't know until you get there. And so, you know, we, we kind of land in Germany, drive however many hours to get down to this festival. I, I can't pronounce it. Sauzip? Sauzip? Yeah, something like that. That was the name of the festival. The name of the festival, yeah. The name of the festival is Zip Rocks Festival. But yeah, we like drive however many hours, you know, and, and it's in like this region of like, there's lakes and there's mountains and it's gorgeous. We played in a cornfield. And he's in a boat cornfield and there's a festival there and just like... Slept in a big farmhouse. Yeah. It was awesome. It was so fun. By the way, there's a guy there that had really, really big arms and a Slayer tattoo that I don't know his name, but... It, he might be our band's mascot. He's our, he's our favorite person. We'll never band. forget him. Do you, do you we know forgot him? your name, but we'll never forget you. Slayer Arm, we love you, whoever you are. <laughs> <laughs> I will post it on social media. Maybe, maybe we will find him. If you could connect us with him, you would make our, our, our years. Oh, that's that, that would be cool. That would be cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, and you did, okay, Donkey. And then came about the Roosters. In 2017 and this is already were more so can i say that donkey was more like an experimental uh ep when you were trying to find the sound yeah yeah i, I think that it was exactly that i think like i said you know at that time we'd figured that we wanted to make heavy music and we were kind of figuring out obviously Susie's voice um so donkey felt more like a, just establishing the band as being a band but not you know they're the first things you're getting out of your head and playing and it, and it felt like if i look back at it that there's things i love about it but it feels like it sounds like a genre versus us there was a bit of a rush to put it out too because Susie was very pregnant when we recorded <laughs> yeah. it and so we weren't sure if the band was going to continue or not so uh, i think we were just trying to get some songs down in the studio as quickly as possible as you know before everything kind of blew up yeah she was like eight months pregnant recording vocals on that Wow. And the rooster was already rec- uh, released on, not on tapes, on vinyl, I think, on, or on everything. We did everything I for the rooster. That one came out on everything, yeah. So, and what changed between the EP and the rooster? Like, okay, we mentioned the sound. How did you record it? Do you do the recording at home or in the studio? The difference was Billy. We went on our first tour ever uh, right after Donkey came out, and we went up to the Pacific Northwest. Um, and right in the middle of touring, we had a genius idea to go record a, a single with Billy Anderson at Cloud City Studios. And the experience was just so good that when we decided to do another record, we wanted we wanted to do it with Billy. Um, and so we brought him down to Shark Bite. 
Yeah. So that's where we did it. Yeah. Which is a studio down here in Oakland. And it was like five days or six days. And we just banged it out. And then that kind of became the pattern for all the other albums. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I read somewhere that your songs are getting longer and longer. They, they were. We've we've uh, we've been busy in the pandemic, and um, we're squeezing them now. We're we're now, we're now going the opposite because again we've got bad sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what? Uh, tell us what 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 have you been doing in the last uh, two years? I guess already now, like since the pandemic. Like a lot and not very much. Yeah, a lot of practice. Um, we added a member. Yeah. No way. Yeah. yeah. Wait. No way. Get wait. Yeah, I want you to guess. What yeah. instrument do you think? Yeah, it what, might be? what instrument did we add? Organ. It's uh, not bad. Set. No. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know. So we we got. Um, do you know the band Gracian? Sounds familiar. Jackie is the cellist and singer in Gracian. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what's funny because I saw it today in 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 the encyclopedia of metal encyclopedia, and there was like already like cello there, but they kind of ah oh, my head. I'm too nervous, you know, like you are like super cool band, you know, I'm like, <laughs> haven't done so many interviews, you know, <laughs> give me some slack. Right? We're just some idiots. Yeah, no, you're, you're killing it. Yeah, you're we're, nailing it. We're some assholes in the bedroom in Oakland, you're fine. <laughs> I mean, this is some dramatic stuff, you know, songs getting shorter and you're adding a new band member. Cellist, shorter, we're completely changing the way we write songs, like up until now. I feel like we'd started generally with like a riff or like something and, and generally that's like a heavy or something that I've brought to the table. And that was pretty, you know, pretty consistent throughout all of the records we put out. And then this one, actually the, the, when we put out rabbits, there's a song on it that um, was the first one that came from, I say the first one that came from Susie. Susie writes all of the, the lyrics and like participates a lot to the musical kind of like um, organization, but, but she, she actually brought like a song song to rabbits that was in blue jay so the piano song that's a song like a noodle on a piano that she's been playing for forever whenever we get in the studio we just hear that damn thing um, <laughs> but we made it into a song and added jackie actually jackie plays on that song as well so if you remember there's cello in it that's kind of how we ended up um you know working more with jackie but what was interesting for me was that like for me that was probably the best song on that record or one of them and it's, it came from the person writing the lyrics and came from a different place than a guitar riff. And I think that got me excited. And so me and Susie, when, you know, we, we went into lockdown pretty hardcore. And then after we started kind of like hanging out again, I said to Susie, I was like, I think we should write all of the songs that are in your head versus me coming with guitar riffs. And I was like, I'll come with them afterwards, but I want to start in a different place. It's kind of how and where and why I think there's some differences in the length of song, the type of song, the all that stuff. Still heavy parts, but less heavy in different ways in, in kind of meaning or, or, or in kind of feeling versus just heavy guitars. Now you're working on the new material. What's what's the plan for the for this year, for example? I think we're trying to get a, a record out by the end of the year. I think that's the goal. So I would I would say maybe you'll be in the studio in the next four or five months, somewhere around there, would be my guess. Yeah. On the same label? Or you have a different label now, you? Yeah, no. This one will come out on Magnetica as well. Uh, in your Facebook post, you you wrote once: respect first, fun second, business third. <laughs> <laughs> Assholes in Oakland. <laughs> 
<laughs> so ha has anything changed since then? Wait, what was the order? Respect first, fun second, business third. I would just remove business entirely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just one and two. They, yeah. they feel perfect still. Yeah. yeah. Heavy on the two. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck the business. And it's it's funny because in this podcast, I'm trying to to put people more in the business state of mind, but you say, fuck business, okay. <laughs> but it's also important to, to do it, like mentally to be free from all that shit. I think so. Yeah. I think so. The second you worry about it, the second you're probably making some poor decisions and you're going to end up making bad art. I can't imagine having to write a song to pay my bills. Yeah. That yeah. sounds um, stressful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you ever done any uh, promotion by yourself, like paid promotion, or or you just made an album, somebody picked it up, you got signed, and they do all the work, or how was it for you? Uh, we've done a mix. We've definitely paid for promotions before. There's a, a PR firm in Brazil that I've worked with a few times. Um, they're called Against PR, um, and they do pretty good work. There's uh, someone working out of the Midwest that I, their name escapes me right now, but they also do do good promo work. Um, there's a lot of good DIY promoters out there if you are willing to spend a little bit of money. And in my opinion, it's a lot more successful than doing like a, a paid social media ad or something like that. I try as much as possible to not give those people my money. And I would rather support people that are, you know, kind of in, in the community trying to make things happen. I think as much as you might hear us like make fun of or kind of poke holes at the kind of heavy music genre and community i think the community is pretty amazing fantastic absolutely i, I, fantastic. I think that like you know music aside the people are like lovely and caring and and you know that there's a lot of good people to reach out to and make really good connections with and i think that that's part of what draws us into heavy and and the kind of the heavy um i guess large community that that happens globally which is really exciting and i think the thing that we're trying to do now is just like persuade everyone that doesn't mean you have to make black sabbath covers <laughs> just you can you can be really heavy you just don't have to like you know have all that fuzz and a big amp and stuff uh you mentioned the community what do you think about the music industry at the moment it's awful <laughs> same yeah. as it ever was yeah i don't see it getting a whole lot better anytime soon are you is there something specific that you're fired up about in the music industry or just in general let's start with the music industry i think all the diy stuff is getting bigger and bigger and bigger so i'm curious to see where that leads i think um you know like Bandcamp has been a pretty great thing over the last however many years so i'm curious to see what's the next Bandcamp that's going to pop up or something similar because i have a feeling there's going to be more you know things like that that kind of support the music makers that are just starting out or, you know, the guys that are never going to get a chance to be huge touring acts. So I think the DIY scene is kind of where music's going to live for the foreseeable future, in my opinion. At least all the good, all the good music. Or, you know, the non-mainstream. Non yeah. How was Spotify for you? I switched to Apple Music. <laughs> yeah, Jordan, we, we, we had this conversation on Friday at band practice. Jordan's just switched. Excuse me, I'm just opening that bit. Um, Jordan just switched. Not because of Joe Rogan, though. Yeah. That is important. Um, but but I, I think that Spotify's fine. It, it's fine. It's just another, you know. I think it's important to remember that Spotify is one of many platforms that do the same thing. So you have choices. And if you're publishing music like we do, it goes out to all the platforms anyways. So, does it, yeah. you know, 
you put it on Spotify, it's also going to be up on Amazon. It's also going to be up on Apple. It's also going to be up on Deezer and all the other things. So they're all connected these days. Actually, like, do you prepare for interviews? Like, for example, for this one, do you like do anything? I mean, Jordan did bring a six pack. So like we, we prepared. <laughs> I, I did a little bit, you know. Jo I, I'm being facetious and very rude. Jordan did a lot of work, actually. <laughs> I try. That's You're the first band on my podcast that's like drinking beer, uh, like during the interview. So it's a new oh. standard. I'm sorry. Well, actually. No, it's a good way, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, oh no, we're going to get told off. <laughs> don't tell him it's 10 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell him it's breakfast time here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a perfect breakfast. That's how we're going to find that dude with big arms and a Slayer tattoo. Slayer arms. Oh, you would make my dream come true. Find that guy. Please, please. Find him, internet. Side note, and it's about Slayer Arm. Maybe give us a little bit of details how to find this guy, maybe like more of a bit description. I think it's it's really important that we find this guy. He was like a stagehand at the Sauset Festival in 2018. Is that when we were there? Yeah, I think so. He had uh, like a dirty blonde hair, kind of short, uh, very good looking dude, in incredible shape, had a Slayer tattoo <laughs> on his arm, uh, was very nice to us. He like, told us where the free beer was. He told us where the beer was. He was very handsome. Like, I think Susie, all of us were just like, my goodness, like, this is a very beautiful man. <laughs> um, he is, like, so ripped, like, just so big. Like, his arm was bigger than my whole being. Like, he was so big. Um, and he had, I think because of how big he was, he made the Slayer tattoo seem really small because he was so big. Like, <laughs> it was amazing. And... We we came we we played our set. We were on at like midnight, which again we booked the we booked the show. Like this is going to be terrible. No one's going to show up. It's too late. Blah blah blah. We turn up at midnight and go on stage, and it was just packed. And people went bananas. It was so fun. And then we come off stage. Everyone's like screaming, and he forced us to go back on and do an encore. Yeah, he, he made us go do two encores. Yeah. We didn't plan on it. He's like, go play more. It's like, oh, I don't think we have any more. No, I mean, we were trying to figure out how many other songs we had left. But like, you know, the beautiful man with the big arm that says Slayer on it tells you to do something. You just agree and you do it. All right. <laughs> no, I think we're going to find him now, you know? I believe in you. I believe in you. And I, I really, like, if you tell him that, like, the next album will... We'll use a picture of his arm with Slayer on it as the cover if we can find it. It'll be the insert. Yeah, for sure. I'm not joking. We'll call it Slayer Arms. <laughs> yeah, we'll call it Slayer Arm if we can find it. <laughs> I, you've heard this is breaking news. Susie doesn't even know that this is the new name of the album, but it will be. decision for her. Oh, yeah. She'll be into it. <laughs> All right. I'm definitely doing this. I want to be like part of this process. I'm going to find this guy. I hope so. Man. Can you imagine the next podcast that we do, that their interview saying like, how did you land on this amazing photograph of this arm with the word Slayer on it? We're like, well, funny story. <laughs> we actually shaved the rabbit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all about the story. I really like such stories, you know? Like, did you have any Spinal Tap moments during your tour in North America and Europe? We've been pretty lucky with shows. Um, we, we kind of just keep pulling them off and, like, we keep getting away with it <laughs> under some more or less dire circumstance. We've had some pretty close calls with members flying in last minute. We kind of make some silly decisions when we go out on the road, but we've always been able to pull it off. Yeah. Like when we go to Europe, we kind of, me personally, I book my flight in and I book my flight out 
and we kind of have the shows kind of figured out, but we just wing the rest. We'll pick up the car and then we'll figure out where to stay depending on where that, wherever we are. Like we don't really have a plan. We just kind of wing it. And it's always worked. <laughs> Makes it fun. <laughs> Makes it fun. I don't know what you're doing, but it's working. You know, <laughs> we don't know either. I mean, definitely the dude with a swear tattoo is definitely going to be on the cover now because I'm I'm fixated on this idea now. Yeah, it's gonna be that's gonna be a really cool album cover. I'm really excited. <laughs> I'm I'm so into it. Spinal Tap moments though. No, like I don't think anything. We're pretty. I think what's the the thing again, you'll probably like tell quite quickly about is that like we play really serious sounding music and we're just not. And so, um, which is very important, very, very important. Again, number two, super important, but touring is like us having fun. Like we like hanging out and we like playing shows. We like people that like going to shows. So it's just go and have fun. Nothing extravagant or crazy. This is weird. Because, I mean, not weird, but when you read interviews, it's only in text. There are only a couple of audio interviews, a couple of podcasts or something as, like that. And you're all like super serious. You're from, especially from the album Rabbits, you all <laughs> look like this, like super doomy. Like, and then I'm talking to you. I didn't expect this. That's why I'm like a little bit shocked, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then you're drinking beer. You know, we, next time, you know, we should like, uh, array, I, I don't know. I don't have a beer, but. Next time, I should have bought some beers, you know. Also, after the after the Slayer um, album, like let's all just drink some beers and just yeah. talk about how it was amazing that we found Steve or whoever it is that we're talking about. <laughs> If his name is Steve, that'll be amazing. Yeah, I hope his name's Steve. It's highly possible. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th th there's obviously a bit of a facade. I mean, I I will say that like. I say a facade, like we're, we're goofy as humans. Um, but, and, and I think in particular myself, like I like really, really sad music. That is what draws particularly me, Susie as well, to a lot of music. Susie's very into kind of the art, um, whatever, whether that's visual or not of music. I think that I'm into like really sad music, draws into kind of like a whole bunch and a whole host of like different aspects of music that is maybe different from being very serious. And definitely as people, we are not at all. So what's the stage for you? It's a chance to be some, what, what is it? To be somebody else or like to open your inner or just like, or you just like it, like the music. I've been playing shows since I was 14 and now I just can't imagine not doing it. It's, I just, ha I have to do it. I'm compelled to. It's like, uh, I get antsy if I don't play shows. <laughs> But is it something that the stage, like when you play a live show, does it bring your true self or you feel complete or it's just a chance to be somebody else maybe? I don't know. I'm, I guess my wife would say when she watches me play, I'm not the same person that she sits next to on the couch all the time. But uh, I don't think for me, shows don't register as a whole lot, being a whole lot different than like a good practice. And I honestly think I have more fun doing practices because I get to you know not hold back and not have to worry about making it sound good for the audience and I just kind of get to do whatever I want and I get a little more room to, to experiment. So shows are a little, a little, you got more tight, a little more strict, but I don't think there's anything in particular. I'm like looking to get out of the experience. I just like playing shows. I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to come at this like slightly different as well and say that like, I probably like shows less. Like I actually, I like making music. I like hanging out with the guys in Broom and one and two. Right. And I, and I think that, um, I like writing music and writing songs. I, recording is hard, but I really enjoy that aspect of making music. 
And live shows kind of just feel like just something you end up needing or wanting or having to do. And there's like, I, I go between kind of shows feeling like not a burden, but just like hard work versus fun. Sometimes they don't feel like fun. Um, but then the really, really good ones make it worthwhile. The ones like when you turn up in a cornfield with Slayer, I'm telling you to go out and play again. You're like, okay, then maybe a part of me is like, then it's worthwhile doing because you never know what, what show is going to be like that. We've been fortunate the last couple of years because now we get to be a little more picky about the shows that we get to do and we're getting better and better offers. So that seems to make a huge difference. I'm more enthusiastic about playing some of these bigger shows than, than I would be a few years ago playing some of the smaller shows that we're just not able to do anymore. Yeah, I think it's hard. I mean, it's hard as a band, like having to like, or feeling like like the way to kind of like reach people was to like go on tour, which generally means driving most of the day, drinking too much, not sleeping enough, playing music for 30 minutes and hopefully in front of a room more than three people and then driving to the next place and doing it again. It's not a wonderful existence. It's exhausting. How was it for you to play with bands like High on Fire? Great. Pretty fun. Yeah, those guys are great. Yeah, super nice guys. The, with, with the High on Fire show in Budapest, we ended up out with Matt all night. Um, that was pretty, yeah, pretty fun. Yeah. Again, with, what's funny is I think you keep asking, I think you keep asking questions about shows, and we deflect to like the moment afterwards where we did some, like we just hung out or were having fun. The show was great. It was this really cool venue. Yeah, but actually, like, forget about the show. Tell us what was. <laughs> after the show so we played with this swedish band i can't remember their name there's a lot of them and so after the show and we were hanging out with them we got along really well so we're like we're gonna go to some bar afterwards and they're like oh we're all tired we don't want to go but this guy just had a baby and he hasn't had a night off in like four months so take him with you yeah so we got in a cab with this dude and we went to this like weird like mexican sports bar yes like, in, like in budapest in budapest it was weird and the guy's like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? We told him like, oh, yeah, Matt Pike's going to come meet us for drinks. And the guy's like, yeah, right. Like, he totally didn't believe us. And then we get a text. He's like, oh, yeah, he's on his way. He's like, yeah, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. And Matt Pike walks in the door. Hey, guys, he buys us all a round of drinks. And the guy's jaw was just on the floor. He could not believe that Matt Pike was there. And we've met him before. So we're just like, hey, how's it going? You know, let's, let's drink beers. I distinctly remember me and Jordan being at the bar and Matt coming over and being like, Hey guys, I'll get around. My band's doing quite well. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, Matt, your band Sleep is doing quite well, and I will take your drink. Thank you very much. So it was fun. Any other stories like that with other bands on tours? I've got. We've got a really good story about being in Amsterdam or on our way to Amsterdam. Um, that bear with me is slightly long but ridiculous and silly and fun because that's the way do it i need i need cool stories <laughs> okay so it, imagine imagine this we're in lazig i'm trying to remember the name of the town rudely uh susie's got uh, uh an ex who lives there who runs a record store and we somehow hook up a show there it's really cool we have fun gert from london come meet us two bands play it's a really great night and then that's where they pick us up in their van and we're going to drive to Amsterdam because that night we're going to spend the night. The next night we had our, our last show in Europe and we were going to play me, this brewery in Amsterdam the next night. It was going to be epic. We jump in a van and Gareth, the singer at Gert, has only just, this is telling, he's like in his 30s, had only just passed his driving license. And it's the first time he's ever driven on the wrong side of the road. So he gets in a van and he starts driving at like 2 a.m., but realizes that he's on the wrong side of the road driving down a one-way street. And meanwhile, we're in Holland, so the rest of us are in the back smoking a joint. And then 
as he's driving down the wrong way of the road, cop pulls up, pulls down window. It's like, hey, cloud. Yeah, cloud is out the window. Out. And he's like, hey, like a couple of things. Firstly, you're driving on the wrong side of the road <laughs> down a one-way street. Second thing, you should not be smoking marijuana in the car while you were driving. And so Gareth, the singer, had to take a drug test. And so while said drug test is kind of waiting to be processed, they're kind of shooting the shit. The police was like, so, hey, what are you, why are you at? Why are you driving? He's like, well, actually, um, we're in a band. We're in a, we're in a, they're in a doom band from America and we're in a sludge band from England and we're on tour and la, la, la. Uh, and by the way, I just want to preface that Gav hadn't smoked any drugs. So he was a very responsible driver. He just didn't know his left and his right. And I was completely passed out in the back of the car. <laughs> <laughs> so they're shooting the shit. They're talking about music. This policeman's like, oh, no way. I love Sludge Metal. And he's like, really? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, what band are you in from London? And he tells him, I'm in the band Gert. And the policeman's like, I fucking love Gert. You guys rule. And Gav's like, you're joking. And he's like, no, no, no. I love you guys. I was hoping to make it to the Amsterdam show tomorrow. So the policeman already knew about this tour we were on. <laughs> so then they're still waiting for the drug test. It, it, it comes up. Gareth is, you know, past it. He has not drank. He has not smoked any weed. Um, so he passed the test. And in the end, the policeman's like, you guys, it's been a pleasure. I love speaking to you. I'm going to help you drive and get you on the right road to get you to Amsterdam. Um, and hopefully I'll see you tomorrow at the show. So... Just the nicest guy, the nicest police pulling over you could ever imagine. The polar opposite of what would happen in North America. Yeah. And so we get to Amsterdam. We continue drinking and smoking. We're just laughing at the ridiculousness of being pulled over by a policeman and him loving our bands and letting us go and driving us. So we all decide that night that we're going to get the Dutch police logo tattooed on ourselves in Amsterdam the next day. We've been talking about getting a, a, band, a group tour tattoo all week and we couldn't figure out what to do. So we're like, let's get the Dutch police logo. So next day we're in, we're in Amsterdam. Slamming margaritas. Drinking mugs because that's, that's the drink of choice. If you, you hang with broom, it's nothing red wine or blood. It's all margaritas, fun time. And so we go get, we find the, the parlor that we're going to get these tattoos and we get really bad. This is not a shout, but really badly done tattoos and this this is the logo on the side of a, a, a police vehicle that um, we googled we google image searched and picked the first result yep so, we're so like, we all i think six of us got the tattoo yep and, Susie's, uh, Susie's got one i think it took a week for us to find out it's not the dutch police it's the belgian police and we've never actually been to belgium <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got the wrong logo <laughs> we got the wrong country and my mom thinks we're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a great story. That was a tangent, right? I told you, buckle up. <laughs> I think it's another like level of, of bands, how you should like be as a band. <laughs> well, I think, again, there's, there's, there's probably things to learn and not learn to do in, in that story, but I think... Um, <laughs> but generally, there's a, a good amount of camaraderie, stupidity, and fun, and that's a good part of what we're doing and why we're doing it. Some of our best decisions have been bad decisions. <laughs> uh, do you have any planned gigs uh, in the near future? Because this episode will come out in uh, one week. We do. Which one? Uh, we're playing... We're going to open for Yob at the Great American Music Hall on March 19th. And then, uh, do I do the other one too? Yeah, why not? Since it's coming out in a week. Um, yeah. We have also been invited to play Desert Fest New York in May May 14th, 15th? Something. 
Somewhere in May. It's in May. Congrats. This is awesome. And how you got invited? They just invited you? They did. I mean, I think our label had a big part of it. They're based out on the East Coast. So a couple of the bands from uh, Magnetic Eye were already playing. So big shout out to Jad and the gang there. Um, but yeah, that we got we got invited. The, the Yob show is a long time coming. It was a show that we originally booked two years ago and then the pandemic happened and that, that show got cancelled and the venues moved. It was going to be in Oakland and now it's in San Francisco, by far like the most beautiful venue in the city. So it's, that's a really exciting one exciting as well. One. There's been talk for a couple of years now, but it keeps getting postponed because of the pandemic and we've been invited to Germany um, and we'd love to come back, but it just keeps falling through every year. So as soon as it's uh, back in the works, we're going to try to make the effort to get back over there. But. And when we do, we can reinvite Slayer Arm so we can hand deliver a copy of the new album that's got Slayer Arm written on I it. I want him up on stage with us. Oh, man. I want him in the band. He's going to play an tw- acoustic 12 string. <laughs> yeah. What if, he's, what if he slays? What if he's really good? <laughs> I guarantee that guy slays. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we are almost done. Where could people check out Broom Music? I think the easiest place is probably just go to broomband.com. Um, Jamie and I don't do any of the social media. By the way, really, really cool website. Oh, thanks. I really like the website and that you that you put all the interviews there. Yes. It was so easy to read everything. Thank you. Jordan is a professional. <laughs> Jordan's professional. We do everything. Everything is done by us. And which song are we going to hear at the end of the episode? I believe you're going to listen to Scurry. All right, uh, Jordan and Jamie, thank you very much for this interview. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was very fun.
was a really cool song. Thanks, bro. And thank you for listening to Interceptor Beyond Podcast. Don't forget to follow this show on Spotify. And if you like what you're hearing, rate this show on Spotify or any other podcast platform that you prefer.